Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here, Chris Flamming, as always. And today I have the honor of welcoming Yvonne Court to the show. For over 20 years, she's been focused on resolving federal and New York state tax controversies for individuals and business owners. She's been named a New York Metro super lawyer and has co-authored various topical articles in her field, as well as speaking engagements. Yvonne, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. Nice to be here, Chris. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you have an interesting backstory. Why don't you take us through what led you to where you are today? Yeah. You know, when I was in law school, one of my favorite courses was tax law. I really enjoyed it. But um, it seemed like everybody was interested in litigation. And I ended up clerking for a judge and doing some litigation. And and then I actually uh, moved abroad. I lived in England for eight years and I didn't practice law. And when I came back to the States, it was an opportunity for me to get back into into what I really loved, which was tax law. And I was able to combine uh, by doing tax controversy, which is helping people with their problems. I was able to combine helping people, which I like to do, and the minutiae of tax law, which is interesting to me and writing mm-hmm. and talking to people and, you know, explaining things to uh, to the taxpayer and explaining the taxpayer's position to the IRS or New York State Department mm-hmm. of Taxation and Finance. So, so it all worked out really well for me. That's awesome. And Maybe if you were able to go back in time and give the younger you some advice, what do you think you would tell the younger Yvonne? Oh, gosh. Well, I would say, you know, just what I tried to do, which is like to be persistent and be mm. determined and uh, go for what you really want to do, you know? Awesome. And so I think that's good advice for a lot of people, actually. Absolutely. Yeah, let's go for it. That is always good advice. Fortune favors the bold. As okay, so uh, do you think there are some big misconceptions that people have about what you do or what you can accomplish for them? Uh, well, sometimes people say, well, you know, I could do it myself or... Um, oh which maybe sometimes they can um, they can work out small things on their own. But, you know, a lot of times people say something that they don't realize can have a, a different meaning or can be interpreted the wrong way. And when you're talking with um, people in authority at the IRS in New York State, you know, someone says something randomly, you know, oh, yeah, I was in, uh, you know, Florida last week. Right. And they suddenly they say, oh, this person must have lots of money. I'm going to ask about more details about their income, you know, or, um, you know, they say, well, you know, when I was back home in Kentucky and they say, oh, wait a minute, you don't really live here. Well, what are you giving us the wrong address? You have a second home, you know, and let's let's audit this part of it, too. Um, And, uh, you know, so that can be sometimes. Pandora's box. 
Yeah, yeah. Pandora's box, right? You're opening up. Exactly. People don't realize there's stories of people who say something they think was innocent, like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that was just, um, you know, that just went into my, you know, someone just paid me for a little odd job I did. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, oh, well, how many odd jobs do you have? You didn't right. put that on your tax return, you know. Yeah. The can yeah, of let's worms. Audit your odd jobs. <laughs> right, right. That's the can of worms. We don't want to get into those. Okay. Exactly. So um, maybe give me a description of your typical client or an ideal client. Oh, gosh. I mostly handle two areas. I help people with the collection side, mm-hmm. meaning they owe money to the IRS or New York State and we figure out a way to pay it. Or I handle, and I handle <laughs> audits. So I help, you know, when the IRS or New York State comes Mm -hmm. knocking at the door, they send a letter. So I have two different, very different kinds of clients there. So let's just say audit for the moment, which is um, really heating up. I'm I'm Mm -hmm. handling a lot of audits at the moment. You know, it could be just a business or an individual who just the IRS or New York State decides to audit them. And they, you know, perhaps they've worked with an accountant and reached a certain point. And the accountant says, I can't go any further. And mm-hmm. they bring me in so I can go to appeals or I can just come in from another angle. And it helps to have that distance between the accountant and the attorney that I can say, oh, this is what the accountant did. This is what they were trying to show rather than the accountants put on the spot, you know, trying to remember or, you know, that right. gives them that extra space. And, you know, I handle a lot for the residency audits, people who high net worth people who live in New York, and then they moved out of the state for whatever reason with the pandemic, a lot of people were leaving, or people who often they have a a summer home, they decide to make it their permanent home. And New York State said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> we think you're still a New Yorker. We're going to audit you. Prove where you live. Prove right. that you changed your domicile. Prove where you were on every day of the year. And I get involved in those as well. Okay. So. And that's, I was going to ask you about that. So we can just go ahead and go there. So we have seen a pretty big influx of Northeasterners down to Florida. Do What do folks looking to change their domicile from New York to Florida need to really be aware of? And what if they're going to keep houses like in both states? Yeah, I mean, what a lot of people don't realize is that it's more than just having a second home and keep, you know, making sure you stay out of New York for six months of the year. Mm -hmm. What New York is really looking for is changing your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, they're comparing what you did when you were in New York. What was your general way of life? What Mm -hmm. were you involved in? How much were you, you know, participating in activities like voting and, um, but also, you know, belonging to a country club or what you were doing to be involved in day-to-day life, your business interests, and how much time you spend on that house. Like, did you just renovate your house in New York and the one in Florida you've had a few years and haven't done anything to? You might you know, you've got to have a good reason. And so for being in Florida, it's helpful to be involved in the community and Mm -hmm. to prove that this is where your home, where your heart is. I mean, that's what it comes down to. The state, you're trying to prove your intent to make this your home with documentary evidence. How do you prove what's inside of you, you know, with documents? So if you've got a weekly (laughs) poker game or Mahjong game or, you know, get pictures, have emails back and forth showing that you really do these things and make yourself part of the community to show it's where you, you know, this is your home. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of people miss. Okay. All right. Thank you. Now, when someone first gets a notice from the IRS or maybe the state, like in the mail, they send those letters. 
I know I've had clients call me and say, oh, I'm being audited or I got this letter from the IRS about this income that I didn't report. You know, what's going to happen? And it looks very official. So what do you think are some misconceptions maybe that people have when they first get that letter? Or maybe the way it's better asked is what they think that you're going to be able to accomplish for them when they get involved, Mm. when you get involved. Yeah. Well, first of all, just be aware there are a lot of scams out there. Mm -hmm. So there are some companies, I I don't remember the exact name, but they created a logo that looks a lot like the IRS logo. Mm -hmm. And they send out scary letters saying, you know, we're going to come, you know, distraint warrant or, or something, you know, that really is just not what the IRS or New York State do. Then they sometimes they'll make it look like it's from the IRS after a New York state warrant has been filed. Anyway, so just be aware that there are scams. The IRS will, usually they'll try to phone um, if they're trying to collect. They'll, I mean, they will send the notices and then also telephone. And well, usually there may be a deadline. So Mm -hmm. watch out for the deadline because sometimes, you know, there are statutory deadlines that come that cannot be changed. Be aware that if they're saying you owe money, that interest and penalties might accrue. If you just put it aside and don't look at it for a year, not only might you miss your right to appeal and challenge it, or it may be more difficult or more time consuming later, but also it could cost you more money. So do be aware of that. And the IRS may have a misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be, you know, they may say, oh, you forgot to file this 1099. And it could be you already included that income in your return. You just didn't have the 1099, but your accountant put the income down. So talk to the accountant and make sure it's not being double counted and try to get it corrected. Sometimes your accountant's already sent in the information and the IRS just didn't see it and they send out the letter anyway. So, you know, you do need to to be aware of, of all that. So I would say try to get a professional involved as soon as possible so you can see, you know, help them explain. Someone like me can, I can explain what's in the letter. Your accountant maybe can can advise, right. you know, you what, what's the You speak thing. IRS. You speak IRS. <laughs> right. Right. I do. Yeah. That I spend a lot of time deciphering what stuff means for clients. Just send me the, send me what you got and then I'll interpret it for you. I guess and and people don't always know which department to go to, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, there's it's the IRS is a mammoth organization mm-hmm. handling hunt, millions of pieces of paper. So naturally, they've got, you know, a lot of different offices that handle different things. Yeah. And uh, the computer system's a bit antiquated. They're trying to get that up to speed. So. It helps to know your way around. I've I've heard the best uh, advice is don't ignore it, right? So you want to be responsive and, you know, communicative with the IRS or the state when these things occur. Um, if you just ignore it, it isn't going to go away. There is a 10-year statute of limitations on collection. So, you know, you do want to, as I say, consult a professional, but yeah. the, it, it's important to know where you are and where you stand and what's going on. Yeah, Maybe hope that the letter comes like nine years and nine months after <laughs> something the statute. Although I don't think they're that they're pretty far behind at the IRS, but maybe not that far behind. No. Okay, not that so far behind. there are a lot of ways to work out like an audit or a, a tax controversy. You've written before on installment agreements. So maybe you could explain to us what those are and, and some tips on those, if you will. 
Yeah. So, you know, there are several ways to resolve a a debt. And one of them, a very common way, is if someone doesn't have the cash to pay the money with the full amount up front, you can pay it over time. Mm -hmm. And the IRS will consider you know, sometimes they will consider up to the statute of limitations. You could, they could give you nine years to pay, for example, if you mm-hmm. have that still left on the statute. And you would pay the same amount every month in general. That's how it works. A okay. monthly payment that's the same. If you've got, you know, sometimes they might give you a year to get yourself into compliance and, um, I mean, to get yourself down to a number that they think is the right number. I yeah. mean, if the IRS thinks that someone is making, you know, has a certain income or has certain assets they could borrow against, they may not want to give them a very lengthy installment agreement. Right. So they do have uh, financial information statements to uh, to mm-hmm. fill out the form 433A for individuals, 433B for companies. And, you know, they do have a policy. If you owe less than $250,000, you may be able to get an installment agreement without too much financial information. But after a certain amount that's owed, they look minutely at your finances mm. and they want to see, you know, what do you spend on housing on, yeah. your, you know, they have a set amount that they, what they call allowable expenses. And you may be paying $10,000 a month in rent or in mortgage, but the IRS has done its calculations. And for your county, what's allowable is for three people is $2,200, you know? Yeah. And so they'll say, oh, look, you've got over $7,000 available. We'll take that. Thank you. You know, right. and um so yeah, that's a basically, and there's a kind of installment agreement if if what you owe is something you really just can't afford to pay in the statute of limitations, you may be able to work out what's called a partial pay installment agreement, which would be you pay the amount you can afford. And in the meantime, the statute keeps running and will eventually expire, but they review every two years to see maybe you could pay more, mm-hmm. or maybe you've just come into some money or won the lottery or something. Okay. Let's see what's going on. So And are are interest and, and penalties imputed into that installment? Oh yes. Thanks. Okay. I figured it was. I didn't think that Yeah. That Unfortunately slide. interest continues to accrue mm. while the installment agreement's going on. That's a very good point. Because sometimes people feel, you know, I, I get this a lot where people say, oh my tax return said I owe X. And now they're saying I owe this much more, but Interest and penalties are subject to collection the same way as the taxes. Yeah, and interest rates are going up. So that's no good. That's right. All right. I have another question um, kind of goes along the lines with that. So there's also something called a responsible person assessment. You're familiar with that term. So why are those needed? I know I'm kind of switching gears, but why are are those needed? Yeah, that's a really important point. And a lot of uh, people don't realize it. It really applies to people involved in a business. Okay. Mm. So if someone's the owner or officer or someone who has a certain level of responsibility in a business that they make the decisions on how money is spent. I'm not talking about the bookkeeper who's told how much to write the check for. I'm talking about the person who directs the bookkeeper. Oh, this month we can't afford to pay the rent as much. We have to pay the rent. We can't afford to pay the electric bill. We'll put that off for a month. The person who makes that decision. And sometimes that person makes the decision not to pay 
a portion of the withholding tax and mm. not to pay the, the portion that they pay the employees because the employee gets their check net of all that stuff you see on your W-2, all that stuff taken out. Mm-hmm. Well, some the, the business is supposed to be sending that to the right. IRS right. or the state. And sometimes the business owner or whoever's in charge says, you know what, we just can't do it this month. We'll send it next month. The IRS mm-hmm. won't find out for a month or so, and we'll pay some penalties. Well, that may be what happens, but sometimes the business falls more and more behind and it gets to the point that now they owe hundreds of thousands or even Mm -hmm. millions to the IRS. And the IRS can, because this, you think about it, if you've got a business, let's say that has 200 employees, that's a big chunk of money. Mm -hmm. And now the government, in order to collect that money, yes, they come after the company, but they will assess a penalty. It's called the trust fund recovery penalty. Mm. against the responsible person, because that money really isn't the business's money. The business is holding it in trust to send it to the government. Mm -hmm. And so they can't assess the individual. The individual doesn't owe the tax, but they assess them a penalty equal to the trust fund portion. Okay. And they can come take that individual's house or, I mean, they can they can come after them personally. They don't usually go as far as taking the house, but they could certainly assess them individually and pursue them for that to collect that money. Okay. Wow. We don't want to be in that situation. No. Okay. So kind of switching gears here. I'm curious just for you, um, we're in January. Um, it's around that time where people have made and broken their New Year's resolutions already. <laughs> so um, maybe going forward, what do you see as the biggest opportunity for you right now in your practice? Oh, gosh. Well, it's been very busy. I have to say a lot of people have been coming forward because they have audits or because they owe money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at this particular point, it's not just January. It's that the pandemic lockdown time has pretty much ended. The lock, we're not in lockdown anymore. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the IRS kind of held off on audits and collection for about a year and a half or more. And they're still behind in doing stuff. But now they're up and doing things again. Mm-hmm. So they're out there seeking to collect and seeking to audit people. And, um, you know, I see that as, as a, you know, for me, that that's an opportunity. But also, I enjoy speaking about the things that I do. I, I lecture for a lot of professional organizations. So there's opportunities there as well okay. to, to do those too. Awesome. Now, maybe on the flip side of that, Yvonne, what do you see as your biggest maybe obstacle or challenge that you are determined to overcome? Gosh. Well, you know, I always think there's not enough hours in the day. I don't think I can overcome that. I'm just, uh, you know, working with other people and delegating what I can, you know, and focusing on what I what I really want to do, focusing on the the kinds of areas I want to I want to be more in. And I I do want to learn new things as well. There's always things coming up. So, you know, trying not to do as much of the things that, um, you know, perhaps delegate to someone else the things that are, you know, less interesting interesting and keep for myself the more interesting ones to uh, help manage my time. All right. Well, we are defined by what we say no to, not by what we say, (laughs) not by what we say yes to. (laughs) Right, Yvonne? That's an interesting thought. What we say no to defines us. That's interesting. I I like that idea. Yeah. Well, I didn't make that up, but I read it somewhere (laughs) along the way. Part of that useless information that I retain. 
Okay, great. Now, if people want to learn more about you or contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, email is really good. My email is, um, well, I'm with the firm of Capel, Barnett, Madelon, and Schoenfeld. And my email is ycourt, my first initial and last name, Y-C-O-R-T, at cbmslaw.com. Okay. And does the company have a website? We have a website, yes, which is also CBMS Law, Capel, okay. Barnett, Madeline and Schoenfeld. And, uh, and I'm on LinkedIn. You can always right. find me on LinkedIn under my name. I don't have a common name. So Yvonne Court is, you know. It'll I'm, pop up. It'll pop up. I'm the you'll only tax a, controversy lawyer named Yvonne Court. <laughs> you'll be at the top on the search, Yvonne. I like that. That's good. Maybe I'll change my name. So I pop Oh, up. you've got a unique name as yeah, well. Yeah, the only unique. one who pops up. I know, mine's unique too. So I guess we're and, in the same boat there. All right. And awesome. I'll bet people misspell your name a fair amount, right? Misspell yeah. and mispronounce. Yeah. It's a bound. Mine, people are often putting the U in. I, I used to get a lot of jokes as an attorney with the last name Court, you know. Right. So, but uh, it comes it's fitting. Out. It's fitting. Awesome. <laughs> Listen, Yvonne, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. It's been a real pleasure to interview you. Very informative. And I want to thank everybody for listening and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we're hoping to raise the financial confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and watching and listening. Take care. Be well. Yvonne, thank you. Great. Thank you. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.